Good afternoon, and this week we are starting a second book of the Torah, the book of Shemois, and it starts off with a very sad part of our history, and that is the beginning of the slavery of the Jewish people in Egypt. How did the Jews get there? That we read about in the past few weeks in the book of Bereshis, the, the, final, the final chapters of the book of Genesis. Um, Yosef was sold to Egypt. He became the viceroy. Ultimately, his father Yaakov moved down there with his entire family. Yaakov died. Yosef died. All of his brothers died. And now the Jewish people are at the mercy of Pharaoh. So um, there's a very interesting story that's told. It's not clearly spelled out in the Torah. It's told in the Medrash. It's actually referenced to in the Talmud. It's told to us in the Talmud of what was going on in Pharaoh's cabinet room during the deliberations when they were deciding what to do with the Jewish people. Who decided the Jews should become slaves? So let's read part number, uh, part one. So we're going to start on page, uh, I believe it's page number two. Page two. A new king who did not know of Joseph came to power in Egypt. Um, in fact, there's an argument in the Talmud. Was it really a new king? I mean, is it possible that someone should not know about Joseph? Joseph had saved, uh, saved Egypt from financial ruin. He had saved their lives. And the consensus is whether he was a new king or an old king, the point was he was making a very big deal out of forgetting or making as if he had forgotten about Joseph. And this gave him the license to treat Joseph's family with disdain and, um, you know, in, in, a, in a bad way. He said to his people, the Israelites are becoming too numerous and strong for us. We must deal wisely with them. Otherwise, they may increase so much that if there is war, they will join our enemies and fight against us, driving us from the land. Uh, so what did he do? So the next paragraph tells us that he decided to enslave them all. And in the third paragraph, he realized that enslaving the Jewish people was not enough to stunt their growth. And so he decided that he's going to have to really, um, you know, nip, the, nip them in the bud and uh, basically kill their babies. And he decided he was going to kill the baby boys. Uh, the way he did so was by giving out a decree that all Jewish baby boys should be thrown into the Nile River. Now, how did he come to these decisions? How did he come to the decision to enslave the Jewish people? Source number two. Let's go to page three. The Talmud tells us the following. The Talmud in the tractate Sota. Pharaoh consulted with three people as to what should be done with the Israelites. Bilaam, Job, and Jethro. There is no story. Huh? No story. Bilaam, Job, and Jethro. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Bilam, and then Eoiv and Yisroi. Now we'll see soon who these people were, and in fact, this is not the this is not the only time that they come up in Jewish history. Bilam, who advised to enslave the Israelites and kill all sons born to them, was later killed. Job or Eoiv, who remained silent, was punished by suffering. Jethro or Yisroi, who fled because he, um, he basically said that he, 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 uh, he went against what Bilaam suggested. Uh, so Yisrael, who fled, merited that his children's children served in the high court in the temple. 
Okay. So let's go through these three uh, advisors. Source number three, who was Bilaam? Bilaam comes up in the Torah many, many chapters later in the book of Numbers. So there's a, a Moabite king, his name was Bullock, and he decided that uh, he, he, wanted to, he wanted to get rid of the Jewish people before they had a chance to get into the land of Israel. And so he wanted to, he knew that fighting against the Jewish people with weapons and with an army would never help. Uh, he would never win. So he decided to fight with them with their own power. The power of the Jews was the power of their prophets, the power of their prayer. He decided to hire the, the most important prophet the Gentiles had. And his name was Bilaam. He was such an important prophet that he matched Moses in prophecy. In Judaism, there was never a prophet like Moses. In fact, the Torah says, that there will never be a prophet in Israel like Moses. However, it's possible that there should be a prophet like Moses by the Gentiles. And who was that? Bilaam. Bilaam's level of prophecy rivaled that of Moses. And Bilaam had the power to curse. And there's an entire parsha in the Torah called Parshas Balak, where we have a very dramatic story of how Bilaam is working very hard to curse the Jewish people. In the past, when he had cursed a nation, that nation had been wiped out and their enemies were able to vanquish them. When, try as he might, he tried to destroy the Jewish people through cursing them, it did not work. What we see from here is that Bilaam was a very spiritual person, had a very high level of prophecy. And yet, what did Bilaam decide to do? He decided to advise Pharaoh that he should enslave the Jewish people that he should behave in an immoral fashion towards the Jewish people. What was his end? Let's go to source number four. God spoke to Moses saying, take revenge for the Israelites against the Midianites. They mounted a surprise attack against Midian as God had commanded Moses and killed all the adult males. They also killed Bilam, son of Beor, by the sword. Just as Bilam had advised Pharaoh to kill the Jewish babies and to enslave the Jewish people, Measure for measure, he was killed by the sword. He did not die a peaceful death on his deathbed. So that was the, the first advisor that was asked by Pharaoh for his opinion of what to do with the Jewish people. He had advised against the Jewish people, and therefore he was punished, that ultimately he was killed. Who was Job, Eov? If you look at the, book of, if you look at the Bible, the 24 books of the Bible, one of the books is called Job. And it's a very fascinating book. It's a whole long story of an individual who was not Jewish. An individual, at least according to most opinions, he wasn't Jewish. He lived in the land of Israel, and um, he was extremely wealthy. And then he went through terrible pain. A lot of tragedy befell him. All of his children died. All of his money was gone. Uh, he lost everything. Uh, but he continued uh, to have a steadfast faith in God. And ultimately, everything turned around for him. Uh, it's a very fascinating book, actually. It uh, has a lot of interesting uh, lessons for us. Um, why, why, did he, uh, why did he suffer so much? And so the, the Talmud essentially says the reason why he suffered is because when Pharaoh convened his cabinet, 
and Eov was one of the three advisors, Eov decided to remain silent. He abstained. He didn't express any opinion, not for the Jewish people or against the Jewish people. Uh, source number five just gives us a little bit of a sampling of the, of the terrible suffering that Eov uh, experienced. One day, as his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their eldest brother, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the, sheep and, and the, the donkeys were grazing alongside them. The Sabians attacked them and carried them off and put the boys to the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. As he spoke, another came and said, God's fire fell from the heaven, took hold of the sheep and the boys and burned them up. I alone have escaped to tell you. So he lost everything, everything, everything. And he suffered terribly for many years. And the Talmud tells us the reason for that is because when he was asked his opinion about the Jewish people, he was silent. What happened to Yisrael? Yisrael, who had told Pharaoh that it was the wrong thing to do, he should not enslave the Jewish people. In fact, he should honor them and respect them and give them the respect they deserve because they are the family of Yosef. He eventually became Moshe's father-in-law. There's an interesting story in the Medrash told about the, the famous staff that Moses had. When we, when we continue in the parasha, we learn that when Moses was chosen by God to go and lead the Jewish people out of Egypt, God told him that he should take your staff, Hamateh, the staff, and with that staff, you are going to do all of the miracles, the 10 plagues, that staff was involved. The splitting of the sea, there was a staff. What was so unique about that staff? So source number six, we have a, we have a quote from the Medrash, which says the following, Rabbi Levi said, you see, my namesake, Rabbi Levi said, that staff, which was created in the twilight before the first Shabbat, was delivered to Adam. The Pirkei Avot, the, the, the ethics of our fathers, tells us that there was a whole bunch of very unique types of creations that came to this world a split second before Shabbat began. God created the world in six days. Each day he created another, another element of this world. On the sixth day, right before Shabbat, he created a whole slew of unique objects. One of them was this staff. This staff was delivered to Adam. Adam delivered it to Enoch. Enoch to Noach. Noach to Shem. Shem to Avram. Avram to Yitzchak. Yitzchak to Yaakov. And Yaakov brought it down into Egypt and passed it on to his son Yosef. When Yosef died and they pillaged his household goods, it was placed in the palace of Pharaoh. Yisrael was one of the magicians of Egypt, and he saw the staff and the letters which were upon it, and he desired it in his heart, and he took it and planted it in the midst of his garden. No one was able to pull it out. When Moses came to his house, he went into the garden. Now, the, the Torah tells us later on that ultimately Moses, uh, after growing up in Pharaoh's home, he had killed an Egyptian taskmaster who was, uh, who was beating a Jew mercilessly. A whole long story. Moses had to run away from Egypt. He ultimately ended up at the home of Yisrael, of Jethro. So when Moses came to his house, he went into the garden and saw the staff and read the letters on it. And he put forth his hand and took it. Jethro watched Moses and said, he will redeem Israel from Egypt. Therefore, he gave him Tzipora, his daughter, for a wife. So, 
The most important thing we need to walk away from these uh, sources is number one, when Pharaoh was deciding what to be done with what should be done with the Jewish people who were multiplying much more than he was able to control, and he was worried that they would take over the land, they would pillage the land, they would leave and leave everyone penniless. He asked three people: Bilam, who we know to be um, a very uh, a very unique prophet whose prophecy rivaled that of Moses. We have Eov, Job, who was also a very special personality um, and ended up becoming the namesake and the source of an entire book of the Bible. Uh, unfortunately, most of it is about a, a, very, uh, a very pained life, a life full of loss, but yet a life permeated with faith in God. And you have the third one, which is Yisroi, Jethro, who ultimately becomes the father-in-law of Moses. He ultimately converts to Judaism. And he becomes one of the most important, most valuable players. He's an MVP, a VIP uh, within the Jewish people uh, for many years. And his descendants uh, ultimately became members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court. These three people were part of Pharaoh's cabinet. Pharaoh asked them their opinion. Bilam suggested that he enslaved the Jewish people and killed their babies. And therefore, later on, he was killed. Eov, Job, was silent. And then came Yisrael, and Yisrael spoke the truth, and he, he, um, he, he protested against the immorality of enslaving a nation for no reason at all, and as a result, he fled from Egypt. But ultimately, he had the last laugh, and he became one of the most important personalities in Jewish history, and his descendants ultimately became a very, a very important part of the transmission of Torah for all generations. Now the Sicha, the, the teaching of the Rebbe that we are going to study, is a, a teaching that was delivered uh, on Purim, 1971. And the Rebbe analyzes the story and extracts from it a very powerful lesson about uh, the, the, the moral imperative of speaking the truth, even when you're speaking it to power, and there is no way that you will be successful. So let's go, uh, part number two, the ill-fated advice. So we're on page six. The Talmud relates in Tractate Sota. Pharaoh consulted with three people as to what should be done with the Israelites, Bilam, Job, and Jethro. Bilam, who advised to enslave the Israelites and kill all sons born to them, was later killed. Job, who remained silent, was punished by suffering. Jethro, who fled, merited that his children's children served in the high court in the temple. The heavenly consequences for each of the three attitudes, Bilam's suggestion, Job's silence, and Jethro's escape, raises questions. All three of them, it makes no sense. Bilam advised to enslave the Israelites and kill all sons born to them as was and was later killed. Now, the Rebbe is going to argue that that's not justified. Why? Bilam served as an advisor to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Thus, it was his moral obligation to advise Pharaoh with Egypt's best interest in mind. The negative impact his suggestion would have on the Israelites should not be his concern. Pharaoh did not ask for his advice in benefiting the Israelites. To the contrary, Pharaoh was concerned about the high Israelite birth rate and the potential crisis it would bring. It was therefore Bilaam's obligation to devise a plan that would counter this threat. If he was fulfilling his duty as advisor to Pharaoh, the question arises, 
Why did he deserve such a severe punishment? Why was he punished altogether? When he's advising Pharaoh, he has to advise Pharaoh in Pharaoh's best interest. Currently, Pharaoh is threatened, is intimidated by the Israelite birth rate. You have to advise him how to stunt that birth rate, how to stunt their growth, their population growth. To the contrary, Bilaam deserves a medal. He faithfully and fearlessly discharges duty to counsel Egypt. We should not forget that Bilaam was a prophet. The Torah says that he knew God's will and had visions of prophecy comparable to the prophecies of Moses, the greatest prophet of all time. He surely understood the risk factor involved with harming the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Nonetheless, he fulfilled his obligation as Pharaoh's advisor and advised him in Egypt's best interest in mind. Yet the Talmud is highly critical of his decision and says that he was punished with death. How does this square with the Torah's aim of truth and justice. So here the Rebbe flips, you know, you would, you would take, you, you would say, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that Bilaam was punished. Why? He was bad for the Jews. But the Rebbe says he wasn't hired to be good for the Jews. He was hired to be good for Pharaoh. He was hired to be good for Egypt. So why should he take into account the welfare of the Jewish people? He has to advise Pharaoh how to deal with a rogue nation within his own land that might one day turn their backs on him, that might one day revolt and pillage the land and leave by their sheer numbers. So in fact, Bilaam was doing the right thing. He was justified in his advice. Let's continue. We can pose the same question about Job who remained silent and was punished with suffering. Job clearly did not want to harm the Israelites. What's the proof to that? He did not advise Pharaoh to harm them. However, fearing Pharaoh's wrath, he chose to remain silent. Why does he deserve to be punished? He did not cause the Israelites any harm. On the other side of the coin, if the Talmud is critical of Job, it should have put it differently. The criticism should have been for a different reason. What, 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 what is a justified criticism against Job? Pharaoh consulted with three advisors. It is highly plausible that he would have followed the majority opinion. Thus, had Job sided with Jethro, who spoke well of the Israelites, and had to subsequently flee Pharaoh's wrath, Pharaoh would have followed their advice and abolished the decree against the Israelites. Since Job remained silent, the two opinions of Bilaam and Jethro remained equal, and Pharaoh made his own decision. Our criticism of Job should be not that he remained silent, but that he didn't speak positively about the Israelites and seek to abolish Pharaoh's decree. Yet the Talmud chooses to say he remained silent. Instead of criticizing him for not defending the Israelites, it criticizes him for his silence. Although his former seems to be more damning. The fact that he didn't speak positively about the Jewish people is probably more indicative of a problem for Job. So the question the Rebbe asks is, number one, why should Job be punished in the first place? If you want to punish him, the reason for his punishment should not be because he remained silent. 
it should be because he did not speak out on behalf of the Jewish people. Because if he would have spoken out on behalf of the Jewish people, it would have been two against one, Jethro and Job on one side and Bilam on the other side. And perhaps uh, Pharaoh would follow the majority opinion. Hello, Rabbi. How are you, Amit? Welcome. Thank you, thank you. So, we need to understand why Bilam is punished. On the contrary, Bilam deserves a medal uh, for uh, speaking his mind to Pharaoh with Pharaoh's best interest in mind. And Job, the fact that he was silent can't be that terrible. And if you want to say that he did something bad, it's not about his silence. It's about the fact that he did not speak out on behalf of the Jewish people. That should be the explicit problem. But, uh, but here, the main problem that the Talmud highlights is it was his silence. What's the problem with his silence? The explanation. So we're on the bottom of page seven. The explanation. Bilam was punished because his advice was harmful, not to the Israelites, but to Egypt. Harming the Israelites was not in Egypt's best interest because anyone who causes harm to the people of Israel causes harm to the pupil of God's eye. In other words, our criticism of Bilam is not for proposing to harm the Israelites. Bilam would have had a ready defense. In my capacity as Pharaoh's advisor, I was committed to Egypt's well-being. And I don't have to think about the well-being of the Jewish people. Our criticism of Bilam is that his suggestion to Pharaoh was against Egypt's best interest. A regular person could not have been any wiser than Pharaoh, but Bilam was a prophet and knew God's will. So he should have told Pharaoh outright, you are correct in your assumption that the Jewish birth rate might be dangerous, but harming them is even more dangerous because you would be causing harm to the pupil of God's eye. And that never works out well for anybody. Now, Pharaoh didn't really have whom to learn from. He wasn't able to learn from history. There was no historical precedent of someone oppressing the entire Jewish nation. No one had ever oppressed the, the nation of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov before. So how could Pharaoh know that he's getting himself into hot water? In fact, no one was able to know. The only one that could have known was Bilam, because Bilam was a prophet. Bilam knew things that most people didn't know. And since Bilam was a prophet, and he knew better, so when he advised Pharaoh to enslave the Jewish people, he was actually misleading Pharaoh. He was going against his whole purpose. In other words, he had a moral imperative to warn Pharaoh of the pitfalls of enslaving the Jewish people. There's a reason why he was one of Pharaoh's closest advisors. In fact, I was going to point out later that the way the Talmud um, enumerates or you know, enumerates the, the three of them, it shows you who was, high, who was the highest in rank. Bilam was the highest in rank, and therefore he was asked first. And then came Job, and then came Jethro. There's a reason why Bilam was the highest ranking uh, advisor to Pharaoh, because he was a prophet, and he would know things that Pharaoh himself wouldn't know. So the reason why Bilam is, is condemned and why ultimately he was killed as a punishment for, his, for advising Pharaoh to enslave the Jewish people is not because it was bad for the Jews, but because that advice was bad for the Egyptians. 
being committed to Egypt's well-being as Pharaoh's advisor, he should have told him the, the full truth. He should have done so even if it wasn't what Pharaoh wanted to hear. And even though he would be subsequently forced to flee to save his life for opposing the wishes of Pharaoh. But because he had access to information that Pharaoh did not have access to, and he was obligated to advise Pharaoh in the best interest of Egypt, he had a moral obligation to say the truth. And he chose not to. So this is the criticism of Bilaam. He was so intimidated by Pharaoh that he failed to recognize the truth and instead tried to please his master telling him that what he wanted to hear and what he thought was actually in Egypt's best interest, when it was in fact profoundly destructive to Egypt, Pharaoh and his army. So that's step number one. The problem with Bilaam is not that he was bad for the Jews, but really because he was bad for the Egyptians, and so therefore he was going against his moral obligation as the highest ranking advisor to Pharaoh. What was Job's problem? The criticism about Job is similar. The task of an advisor is to give an opinion, whether it is popular or not. If you are committed to your duty as an advisor, you take a side, irrespective of the attractiveness of your opinion. Now this is actually a point that's very important. We have to, we have to understand this very well. The Rebbe is not suggesting that everyone has to express an opinion. You know, today with social media, everyone has an opinion and everyone feels that if something happens in the world, I have a moral obligation to express my opinion on social media and to my friends and to anyone that's willing to listen. That's not what the Rebbe is suggesting here. The Rebbe says, if you are hired to be an advisor to a king, you have an obligation to express an opinion. There's a reason why you were hired to do so. You know, there's, there's a, a fellow, I would have coffee with him fairly often until he moved away from El Paso. And he once told me, he says, you know, everyone has a political opinion. You know what I say? He said, I don't know. There's a reason why I vote these guys into office. Let them do the hard work of figuring out what's the best way for taxes and the best thing, whatever. It's like, you think, I, I, I know graphics. I know marketing. I don't know how government works. I don't know what, you know, I don't know what's best. Let them, let them break their heads over it. Healthcare, this, that, I have no idea. And he's right. He's not saying I'm stupid. I have no opinion. He says, I, I, sh I probably do have an opinion, but what is my opinion worth? I, I'm not educated in these issues. I don't have experience in them. And most importantly, I'm not in a position where my opinion will make a difference. Job was one of the three advisors to Pharaoh. There's a reason why he was in that special club. He certainly had a certain level of wisdom, a certain level of, of experience that was valuable to Pharaoh. And if you're in that position, you have no option of remaining silent. In that position, you must express an opinion, your opinion, even if your opinion is unattractive, even if you will suffer for expressing that opinion. Now, the Rebbe goes on the whole lengthy uh, analysis on, the, on Job's struggle on his challenge. Now, some people prefer to please everyone, but that's not always possible. When one side says, throw the newborns into the river, and the other side says, don't touch the pupil of God's eye, there is no middle ground with which to please both. You know, let, let, let's, uh, you know, it will only kill half the babies. No, you kill one baby, you've touched the pupil of God's eye. 
right? So there's no way of compromising here. You can't be a nice guy. In that instance, he chooses to offer no opinion at all. Thus, he will be able to comfortably approach both sides and say, consider me your good friend. I said nothing against you. Job is comfortable with the Talmud's account of his silence. Now he cannot be accused by Bilaam of contradicting him, nor can he be accused by Moses. He said nothing that would harm the Jewish people. So he just secured himself a spot in everyone's party. When everyone's going to make a New Year's party, he's going to be there. Bilaam will invite him. Oh, he didn't argue against me. Moses will invite him. Oh, he's good to the Jews. He didn't say anything against us. He's happy. He's on everyone's good side. Thus, although he can justifiably criticize Job for not having supported the Israelites, potentially abolishing the decree or at least removing any blame from himself, there is a much stronger charge. How can he remain silent? That's the problem. If you were by divine providence appointed as an advisor, you need to find the strength to convey your opinion. If you don't have that strength, resign and head home. So it's not the issue of, oh, you're against us. It's you're against yourself. You have a job. You have a moral obligation to express an opinion because you were hired to do this. You are sitting in the advisor's chair, not because you're, you're a good-looking guy. You're sitting there because you have to express your opinion. Whatever your opinion is going to be, if it's going to be against the Jews, we'll deal with you differently, right? We'll deal with you in a different way. We'll know that you're our enemy, and that's it. We'd rather know who you are and which side you stand. But to sit there and to behave like a very savvy politician and to say, oh, I want to be on everyone's good side, that's not why you were hired to be a career advisor for Pharaoh. And remaining silent is the real moral problem. And that's the reason for your suffering. Therefore, the Torah, I'm sorry. Therefore, the Torah of truth views Job's silence as worse than his lack of interest in the plight of the Israelites. In a certain sense, it is worse than misguidedly advising Pharaoh to harm them. So in a certain way, Bilaam gets more, well, he doesn't get more credit, but the point is that Job has an equally problematic issue, and that is remaining silent, going against the whole purpose of why, undermining the whole purpose of why he is sitting in that chair. And if you don't have the, the, the moral integrity to voice your opinion, your true opinion, even if it's unattractive, so go home. If you want to be nice to everyone, just go home. There's actually a, a, a very uh, intelligent Russian Jew who told his son-in-law the following. I heard this from his son-in-law. He said, Chaim, you want to have friends? So he said, sure. He says, do nothing. And then you'll have friends. He said in this Russian accent, do nothing. If you do nothing, you say nothing, you smile to everybody, of course you'll have friends. Of course everyone will be happy with you. But you're not doing what you have to do. And if you're doing nothing, so go home. Let someone else with more moral integrity sit in that chair. The Rebbe continues, anything is better than a policy of pleasing everyone. Job understood that drowning the Jewish newborns would harm the Israelites and harm Egypt as well. And he still remained silent, irrespective of his duties as senior advisor to the king and one of the three individuals to whom the question was posed. Even if he wouldn't have been one of the three, 
the obligation would rest on him to protest because he was in a very high position. Yet, he would take pride in his decision to remain silent because it allows him to profess good terms with Bilaam and Moses in unison. This, the Talmud says, is worse than ignoring the Israelites' plight. The reason why he suffered so terribly was because he abdicated from his obligation to express an opinion. So Bilaam's problem is that he was so intimidated by Pharaoh that he spoke against the own, his own truth. He guided Pharaoh in a bad way. He knew the truth. He knew that by messing with the Jewish people, he was messing with God, and that wouldn't turn out okay. Pharaoh had no way of knowing that. And there was a reason why he was turning to Bilaam. But although Bilaam knew the truth, he was so intimidated by Pharaoh that he, adv- that he, that he became a yes-man. And he pleased Pharaoh with advice that ultimately backfired and destroyed Pharaoh in Egypt. That's why he was killed. Not because he was bad for the Jews, because he was bad for the Egyptians and he had been hired to advise. Job, why did he suffer so terribly in life? Not because he didn't speak up on behalf of the Israelites, but because he remained silent, thus abdicating his duty, abnegating his duty. What was his duty? To express an opinion. Whatever that opinion will be, there's a reason why you're sitting in that chair. And if the reason why you're not expressing your opinion is because you want to be good with everyone, that's not what an advisor is hired to do. You're not meant to be the diplomat. Once the Rebbe said, you know what a a diplomat is? Someone who knows how to lie. That's the definition of a diplomat. And that's fine. That's his job. The Rebbe had no problem with a diplomat lying. That's what you were hired to do. The better you do it, (laughs) the higher you'll become. Right? So you want to say, oh, the nation's top diplomat, that means the nation's top liar, right? You have to know how to, how to talk nicely to everyone, sweet talk everybody, know how to take everything and kind of smear it with ice cream, and, and it should feel good to everyone. But that's not the job of an advisor. An advisor is meant to say the truth. An advisor is meant to give the best advice, even if the advice is contrary to what the one seeking advice wants to hear. All right, so now we dealt with Bilam, we dealt with Job. And by the way, both of them, we learned some very profound lessons here. If a person is in a position where their obligation is to offer advice, now it doesn't have to be necessarily in government, in leadership positions. There are many different leadership positions that could be. It could be within your own family, it could be within your own community, whatever it may be. In, in a business, if, you were, if your job, if your role, is to be the one giving advice. Number one, give good advice. Don't give advice that that person wants to hear. And number two, always express an opinion. Don't say, I want to remain silent in order to be good with everybody. And again, these two rules only apply if you are hired for this job, if this is your obligation. If it's not your obligation, you're you're just a Joe Schmo on the street. No one asked you for advice. So there's no moral obligation to give advice and to speak up and to speak out, etc. But if, in your, if you are in a position where that position demands it, don't start running away from that obligation. Now let's take a look at Jethro. So let's continue in the Sikha. Uh, we're on page. Page. Page 10. Top of page 10. 
Kathra is mentioned third in the Talmud's account. After Bilam was suggested to drown the newborns and Job who remained silent. At that point, Jethro understood that he wouldn't be a tiebreaker. At most, there would be two equally supported opinions, Jethro versus Bilam. No doubt Jethro knew Pharaoh's personal preference. After all, he fled after conveying his opinion. With that in mind, his choice to oppose Bilam seems irrational. If he knew that his opinion would not sway Pharaoh, simply because he wouldn't be in the majority, and even if it would be a tie, he knew where Pharaoh would you know, make the decision. He knew what Pharaoh's personal preference was. So if he knew that his opinion would not sway Pharaoh, perhaps it would have been better that he remained silent regardless of his personal opinion. In other words, at this point, it seems that Jethro, by speaking up, is only shooting himself in the leg. Not only is he shooting himself in the leg, he's actually doing a disservice to the Jewish people. Why? He could have thereby remained Pharaoh's advisor and retained the ability to aid the Israelites in other matters. Pharaoh indeed commanded the killing of all boys, but girls were to be kept alive. Had Jethro remained among Pharaoh's close circle of advisors, he could have ensured the spiritual well-being of the girls in keeping kosher, Jewish education, and so on. But because he opposed the proposed killing, he was forced to flee, leaving the Israelites helplessly in Pharaoh's hands. How is that beneficial to the Israelites? So here we're actually flipping the coin on Jethro. What we're saying is at this point, since you're the third guy in the row, and you already know that Bilam had suggested kill the kids, and Job had remained silent, by you opposing Bilam, all you're doing is getting into Pharaoh's bad graces and uh, basically uh, sealing uh, the sentence against you that if you remain, he's probably going to kill you, you're probably going to have to run away, and you are not going to have a voice in Pharaoh's inner circle. So probably, if you would ask a competent Jewish sage, that sage would probably tell you, at this point, you should probably just remain silent, in order that you could stay there, remain in power, and do good for the Jews. You may argue, how could Jethro possibly agree in good faith to Pharaoh's plan to drown the boys? Yeah, like, how is it possible that he should have the moral uh, justification in not protesting against them? But on the other hand, but did he really have any better option? He should have at least remained to seek out the welfare of the girls, to save the girls and their parents. This would also allow him to protect them from slave labor and tend to their needs in general. Seeing no possibility to abolish the decree, he should have used his knowledge of Jewish law and his own logic to make a calculation. What's the calculation? He has an important job with Pharaoh, the ruler of the world's greatest superpower. He is one of the three senior advisors. Clearly, Pharaoh values his advice. If so, there is no, need, there is no reason for him to uselessly support a minority opinion and then flee to Midian, leaving Pharaoh and Bilam alone with Job remaining silent. This would mean totally abandoning the Israelites in Egypt. In different terminology, 
you may want to remove yourself from anything that does not coincide with Torah values in order to demonstrate your commitment to Torah. But that means that you are willing to abandon the education of all Israelite girls in Egypt, the kosher food of all Israelites in Egypt, and the potential of alleviating their suffering just for your own honor, just to demonstrate how principled you are? Perhaps you should bend your principles for five minutes. It will make no practical difference. The majority opinion is against you either way. But by remaining on Pharaoh's good side, you will retain your post as senior advisor and you will be able to look out for the Israelites from the inside. It's a good argument, no? The Rebbe is playing devil's advocate. Come on, Jethro, why, you're, you're such a principled person. You have to express your opinion against, against Bilaam's advice. But you know what that's doing. You're basically committing your own political suicide and you're, you're just allowing the Jewish people to remain under the power of, of Pharaoh and Bilaam unrestrained by you. You could have been a sane voice in Pharaoh's administration. And you gave it up by speaking your mind. So the Rebbe continues, but no matter how powerful this question may be, the Talmud doesn't see it that way. Jethro didn't need to think twice. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew that his would be a minority opinion, and he would need to flee as he indeed did. But nevertheless, when Pharaoh asked for his opinion, he did what an upright human being does. He said the full truth without machinations. What about exchanging the life of the boys for the well-being of the girls? Jethro says that it's not for him. He is bound by his ethics. Jethro does not do business with people. doesn't say, okay, kill these guys in order that these gals should have a good life. He doesn't go and say, you know what? We're going to have to make some type of compromise. We're going to have to allow this amount of children to receive that type of education in order that these children should have this type of education. What, what are they? Children are, are, little, are little pieces of, of, of clay that you put them here and there, you do business with them? No. Every person is special. Every person is unique. Every life is unique. How could Jethro, who was asked of his opinion, how could he even for a moment think either to remain silent or to agree with Bilaam, which basically was suggesting enslaving a nation without justification and to kill little babies. Jethro didn't even think twice. He didn't go and start saying, if I agree to this, I'll be able to do that because you don't do business with ethics. Being an upright person, he understood his duty as an advisor. Remaining silent wasn't an option, nor was playing games. Our sages said, do not measure the various mitzvahs of the Torah against each other. You can't go and say, look, this is a very important mitzvah, and this is not such an important mitzvah, so I'm going to focus on this one and not on that one. We don't do business with mitzvahs. We don't do business with Jews, with Jewish lives, spiritual life or physical life. Likewise, they said, why is one person's blood redder than another's? The baby boy's life is not worth more than the baby girl's. You have no right to negotiate with human lives. With all three options, Torah illuminates the way for us as Jews, as the verse says, mitzvahs are our candle and Torah is our light. The only path that leads directly to the high court in Jerusalem and the only path that is seen favorably for all eternity is to follow Torah statutes without regard for their popularity and without regard for your supposed impact. 
This mode of conduct brings about two results. Pharaoh and his cohorts lose their influence, and the people of Israel leave exile triumphantly, and moreover, with great wealth. So essentially, the message that we, that we learn from this, uh, from this story in the Talmud about the, 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 the cabinet that was convened, the three advisors that gave their advice to Pharaoh, there's three very important things. Four important things. Number one, the only time you should give advice is when that's your job. If it's not your job, you don't belong in the room. Now, if it's your job to give advice, number one, give good advice. Don't give advice that you know that person wants to hear. Give the advice that you know to be the right advice. Bilaam did not do that. Bilaam knew that advising Pharaoh to kill the Jewish babies and to enslave the Israelites was a bad idea. And yet, he knew that Pharaoh wanted to hear that. So he just said it. That's bad. Number two, don't think that if the advice that you need to give is unpopular, that there is an option of remaining silent. If you are an advisor, you must state your opinion. You don't have the luxury of the diplomat. You don't have the luxury of being everyone's best friend. You are hired to give advice. And thirdly, if you are hired to give advice, you have to give good advice, even if you know that that advice will not help. Even if you know that the majority is against you, and you know that the one who is seeking your advice does not want to hear it. But if you, were, if you are in that position, you have a moral obligation to convey the truth without being intimidated by anyone or anything. And ultimately, making, and, and, and don't think that, oh, I can make all of these different calculations that if I'm going to bend my principles for a few minutes, I'll be in the right place at the right time in order to help people down the line. Right now, the most important decision is the decision in front of us now. And therefore, one must stick to their principles on the moment, irrespective of what the future will look like as a result of you expressing your opinion. You know for a fact your opinion is not going to sway anybody. But if you were hired to give an opinion, you are going to give your opinion, the right opinion, even if it means that according to your calculations, it will, come, it will turn out worse. Because at the end of the day, who runs the world? God does. And God is principled. God is a God of truth. And someone who sticks to their guns, someone who sticks to their principles, like Jethro did. Ultimately, what happened? It didn't take more than a generation or two, and Pharaoh was destroyed, Bilaam was killed, Eov had a terrible, terrible life, and Yisrael was a VIP of the Jewish nation, and, and he, uh, he, he, he earned himself a place in Jewish history, and every single year, the Jewish people gather in the synagogue, and they read a chapter of the Torah, a portion of the Torah called Yisrael, and that is the portion of the Torah that contains the story of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, is perhaps one of the most famous parshas in the Torah, all named after Yisrael, who merited to that position simply because he expressed his principled opinion, even though it was unpopular, and even though, according to all the calculations, it was the worst thing to say. But he said it anyway. And this is a very inspirational lesson for each and every one of us. So even though most of us don't necessarily have a position in very important places, but each one of us has a sphere of influence. Every one of us has a sphere of influence of certain people 
that are seeking our advice, and it's our obligation to give that advice. Remaining silent is not really an option. So we're not saying that everyone has to express an opinion about, about everything, but if it's within your sphere of influence, you have a moral obligation to say the truth, whether it's going to be accepted or not. All right, any questions, impressions, ideas, discussions? I welcome you to unmute yourselves. What about if you're talking with your wife? Should you stay, remain silent always? The question is if you were hired to give advice to your wife. <laughs> yeah. Definitely this does play out in, 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 a, family, uh, in a family setting. Uh, but again, it doesn't mean that you always have to express an opinion in a way. There's always, how, there's always also a way how to say it, yeah. right? Sometimes there is no better way of saying it, right? So if something is morally wrong, you do have to express an opinion if, um, if, if it is within your place to do so. Let's put it this way. I had a question. If you, choose, if you choose your battles wisely, you'll be able to navigate these issues very well. Yes, Marvin. Yeah, I was thinking about the advisors, and well, it's interesting because you know Jethro did what, what was right, but he had to flee. So I'm thinking, well, what you know it was uh, what I'm saying is uh, his counsel as advisement uh, was pretty short. He made one decision, and that was it. He had to run for his life. In other words, it sounds to me like Pharaoh. It's like when you say you for a psychiatrist or a psychologist that agrees with you. If you don't like what they say, you, you get rid of them and you find another one. Um, so, uh, it seems like if Pharaoh really believed in these advisors, you know, Jethro shouldn't have to feel, even if Pharaoh disagreed with him, that he'd have to flee. That's the part I don't understand. Well, you, you've probably never dealt with, um, with, uh, how do they call them? Uh, you've never dealt with a Stalin, have you? Uh, I guess not. Uh, I haven't either, but from what from what it seems like, Stalin was not an easy guy to advise. And not just Stalin; there were plenty of people. You know, Hitler was also this type of, uh, you know, I mean, there are people that 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 you you knew for a fact that they wanted to, they wanted yes men, right? And that by expressing an opinion, uh, not only would you be forced to resign, you would probably be killed. Well, why did Jethro have to flee? Because, uh, you know, he knew what was going to happen to him. If someone opposed Stalin, he was killed. Typically, in most Western countries, when you oppose any type of leader, the worst that will happen is you'll have to resign. Okay, so you'll resign. You'll get a nice position in some law firm or, or whatever, and uh, you'll go on with life, yeah, in some political firm that's going to open up. But in places uh, that are ruled by Stalins and Hitlers and Pharaohs, uh, by, by expressing an opinion contrary to their preferences, uh, you knew that ultimately you would have to run for your life. But Yisrael had the moral fortitude to express the truth, even though you would really have to run. Most right, of us are not right. faced with that type of choice. But we could all, we could all apply this, uh, his decision to, the decision to the small decisions that we have to make. Sometimes we might have to resign from a committee or from whatever it is because... You know, what's, what's happening here 
is against our principles and being here even as a minority opinion is also not worthwhile. This sikha was said within the context of, uh, there, there was a, it was a very tumultuous time, political time in, in, in Israel uh, to preserve the, you know, the Jewish uh, idea of, of, of Israel. There was a lot going on there. And the Rebbe was actually very uh, disheartened by the fact that there were some religious members of Knesset that refused to resign from the government in protest to certain policies. The Rebbe said the fact that those who don't consider themselves religious or bound by the laws of the Torah are doing things against the Torah, it's sad, but uh, it's not surprising. But someone who claims to, to represent Torah principles if something like if something that is so contrary to Torah principles is happening, you have a moral obligation, number one, to voice an opinion, even if that opinion means that you will be forced to resign from the government. That was the context that this talk was was given. Right. They were saying you should learn from Jethro. Don't be a job, just being silent or saying whatever the government wants. Because what what was their calculation? If we we'll remain in the government, we'll be able to funnel money. To, to, uh, to the right organizations and to the yeshivas, etc. And, and we need to have that money for, for Torah study. And I said, that's not the point. Of course you need the money for Torah study. But there's a principle. And if you're willing to bend your principles, then uh, <laughs> you're a Bilam, you're a Job. You know, that, that's not, and it didn't turn out very well for them. Right. Okay, thank you. Good discussion, because we have to learn it every day in our conducting of life. That's right. That's right. And sometimes when you're asking yourself advice, you know, <laughs> you're faced with a, with a question, and you know exactly what you want to hear, but the Torah says differently. So you have to have the moral fortitude to accept the laws of the Torah above your own personal preferences. Okay. Very well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi. And